0: content well sure sure I'm content If, if by content you mean that I believe I'm not going to be getting a raise for a long time therefore can't buy that new flat panel television then yes yes I am content see the key is look at everything like it's a blessing the house the car family your health blessings bills Broken toilet seat, not having a convertible, blessings. They say the grass is greener on the other side, and that is true, but only because my neighbor just had a sprinkler system put in and he got a new lawnmower. It's like one of those 500 horsepower John Doe's. It's got the uh, four titanium blades. You can probably shave with it. The uh, 12 inch rims, lift kit on it, the whole nine yard. I think he's got a grill in the back too. Cook steaks while mowing the lawn. But that's his world. That's not my world. Um, I'm content with what I have. I'm content with my push mower. It's my grandfather's. So it has sentimental value to me when it works. But see, my neighbor wouldn't know anything about sentimental value because all he got from his grandfather was money. Well, you can't buy sentimental value with money. You could buy my mower, but can't buy what's in here unless he made me a good offer. But see, what's in here is what matters. What's in here. That's where contentment lives in here. You got to know who you are in here. And in here, I am not a pool owner. My neighbor is, but, uh, but that's his in here, not mine. No, I don't, I, I don't need a. I'm content with what I have, and what I have is a garden hose. Turn it on high, use my thumb, get some good pressure going. Same thing. Pools have drawbacks. You you get out of a pool and you're wet. You gotta dry off. I'm not saying being content is easy. watch TV long enough and you get bombarded with advertisements about everything you need. Do I need all those things I see on TV? Probably. Am I going to get a blender that also makes salsa? Not unless my wife changes her mind. So then how am I content? Well, I'm not. I will be come Christmas when I buy her one for a gift. So sometimes uh, contentment is a journey and not a destination. Like Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. I'll never be to Hawaii. But I don't need to. Because I'm happy where I am. And so, three weeks out of the year, when my neighbor goes to Hawaii, I sneak over to his pool. That's my Hawaii. I buy some tiki torches, have a pig roast. That's my Hawaii. Same thing. So yes, I am content. See, contentment is about looking around you, seeing what's around you, what you have, and trying not to notice that your neighbor has a Ferrari. A Ferrari's a car, mode of transportation. I'm content with what I have. Would I like a Ferrari? Sure. Would a Ferrari make me happy? Yes. Am I going to buy a Ferrari? Well, I could. I could mortgage my house, sure. Am I going to do that? No. The reason, it all comes down to the C word, cost. I don't know what my house is worth. I'm having it appraised. Life is too short not to be content, to just enjoy what you have. So it's about being thankful. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I have so little. Because if I had a lot, I would have to insure it and claim it on my taxes. Besides, the Bible says that the rich are more likely to have their eyes struck out by a camel. But I don't hate my neighbor. I love him. I love him. I do. I really do. I love my enemies. To answer your question, yes. Yes, I am content. Very content. Very, very content. If I were any more content, I would be dead. That's how content I am. Ah, I love the smell of fresh cut grass and A1 sauce. No, no, I'm fine, thank you. I already ate.
1: It's a pretty good movie. So what do you think? Is it possible to be content? Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Philippians. That's the question of the morning. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there are Bibles that you can pull out from underneath one of your nearby chairs. Turn to page 1164 in that particular Bible. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. Yes, we're taking a little break from our study of the book of Hebrews. That study will resume and carry us through Easter and into the early part of the summer. But for the next five weeks we're going to talk about how to create a, a culture of stewardship here at UPC. This is part of our momentum campaign that we've talked about before, and we'll revisit throughout the future. Uh, And so for the next four weeks, five weeks actually, we're going to talk about some topics that have to do with creating this new kind of normal among us here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, hear God's word. The Apostle Paul writes as follows, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Is it possible to be content? Yes, it is. And today we're going to find out how. I want to help us to redefine normal. Normal in our country is defined as spending all of your money on things you don't really need. But that's not normal. Normal in our country is defined as being in debt up to your eyeballs. But truly, biblically speaking, that's not normal. Normal in our country is defined as not living with a budget. But again, that is not normal. So we want to redefine normal in this series and begin today by talking about contentment. It really begins there with an understanding of what it looks like to be a contented people. Now let's begin with some definitions. First of all, what is contentment? Contentment is a deep sense of peace and rest Regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of what's taking place inside you, if you're content, it means that you're satisfied with who you are, where you are, and what you have. You may have a date on Friday night. You may not have a date on Friday night. Either way, that's not what determines your value. You may have been blessed with children. You may not have been blessed with children. Neither one makes you or breaks you. You may own a flat screen TV, or you may be still using the same one your parents gave you years and years ago. Whichever it is, you're okay, because you're not looking to things like that to find your ultimate source of satisfaction in life. The word content in verses 11 and 12 of this letter means to have enough, literally. It means to have enough, to have a sense of sufficiency. I'm okay, I'm all right, things are cool. That's a definition of contentment. I think Sheryl Crow probably came up with a very good definition of contentment in her song a few years ago. It's not having what you want, but wanting what you've got. That's contentment. The opposite of contentment is covetousness. Covetousness means wanting something that somebody else has in an evil way. Obviously, you can admire what someone else has without it being covetousness, but that evil desire to have what someone else has, even if it means his or her hurt, is the opposite of contentment. When you covet what someone else has, who someone else is, or where someone else lives, that is the spirit of covetousness. Now, let me take a little detour here, because I think it's really important that you hear what contentment is not it's almost important as important to know what's not as to know what it is don't confuse contentment with complacency now this is a really important detour this is almost a mini sermon i guess if i if i could if i had time i'd preach two sermons today one on complacency as well as one on contentment but complacency is not the same thing as contentment in fact there is such a thing as a holy discontent. There's some things about which you should be discontented, and that's not sin. And so you need to make that difference in your mind. Paul is not telling us in this passage to be like the Stoics. A Stoic is somebody who doesn't allow herself to feel pain or discomfort about a particular situation. You might say that a Stoic is someone who just doesn't care what his or her circumstances are. When Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, he is not saying, I don't care what my circumstances are. I don't care what's going on in the world around me. That's not what it is. There are things that you should care about. There are things that you should be pissed off about. There are injustices going on all around you all the time and you should be upset about them. You should be more than upset about them. You should do something about them if at all possible. And I want you to hear that. That is also the message of the Bible. You should be feeling grief about what's going on in Japan right now. You should be bothered that human trafficking is now the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. It should shake you to the core that there are hundreds of people dying around us all the time and going to hell. That is not a situation about which we should just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, I'm happy. I've got all I need. That's wicked. So don't let complacency about problems and issues in the world make you think you're in God's will. And being content because it's not the same thing. Not to mention, there are things in your life that you ought to be concerned about right now. There ought to be some changes going on, some repentance, some deep repentance is going on during this season of Lent, for example. Some of you should be in counseling about your addiction, some of you need to stop eating so much. Some of you need to repent of your TV watching. It's too much. It's eating up your life and your time. Some of you husbands and wives should be spending more time together. And yeah, I'll say it. Some of you husbands and wives need to be having sex more often. It's true. And some of you single people should respect your boundaries more and your character and integrity more and stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. The Bible gives you two options. Either stop it or get married. Which will it be? Some of you should get serious about your devotional life. Some of you moms and dads, you've been talking about having family devotions forever. Now's the time to start. I'm sorry for taking this little detour. But it's so vitally important that you understand that complacency is not endorsed in the Bible. Some of us, I'm afraid, in the Christian community are using a false type of so-called contentment as a cover-up for laziness and apathy. And I just want to make sure that you don't hear either Paul or me saying that's okay because it's not okay. Got it? That will be another sermon we'll return to someday. Now let's go back to the main road. Because it's just as important that you hear about contentment as it is that you hear about complacency. Let's talk about contentment. What it looks like. Three things that I believe Paul wants us to hear today in this passage. That first of all, contentment is something that you have to learn Secondly, it's something that you have to receive. And thirdly, it's something that you have to believe. All right, so there's our plan. Let's start with the first thing that I see in this passage. Is that contentment is something that you have to learn. It's something you've got to learn. Verse 11, Paul says as much. He says in verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances And in verse 12, he repeats himself. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, how do you learn contentment? Well, how do you learn just about anything in life? Have you ever heard of the school of hard knocks? Generally, if you learn something, it is because you have suffered something. Learning comes through brokenness. Learning comes best when God takes us through the valley and through the wilderness, and through the desert. And that is true when it comes to contentment. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote the letter to the Philippians? He was in prison. He was in prison. He was in a prison in Rome, far away from family and friends and comfort. See, Paul is a, as a human being. He, earlier in his life, experienced power and prestige and respect. He had possessions. He had a pretty good life going. But now he's got none of those things because God wanted Paul to learn the secret of contentment, the secret of happiness, not having what you want but wanting what you've got. And so God led Paul through a prison experience. I I wish we didn't have to learn contentment that way, don't you? I wish we could just wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I am so content. I love everything about who I am. I'm loving in my skin. I love where I'm at, what I've got. I just love it. I wish it were that easy. But see, we lost contentment in the Garden of Eden long, long, long time ago when Adam and Eve decided they didn't like the rules and they rebelled against God and rejected His simple command, in fact, it wouldn't be far off to say that discontent was actually the first sin. Here they were, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, having a great time, vertically, fellowship with God unbroken, horizontally, in harmony with each other, in harmony with the natural world around them, And here comes Satan planting in their minds this little bitty suggestion, maybe there's something more. And they believed it. So discontent was really the first sin that preceded the eating of the forbidden fruit. And ever since then, we've been searching for things that would satisfy us to no avail. My iPad is not good enough. I need the iPad 2. I need a better body I need a better husband or wife. I need a newer car. I'd love to have a bigger church, a different countertop, a faster cell phone. I need another Facebook friend. On and on and on it goes. It never stops, does it? Corbin Carnell wrote a book on C.S. Lewis. And in that book he says, we are haunted by unquenchable longings. That started in the Garden of Eden. It's part of our brokenness, it's part of our fallen condition. It's why we're always dissatisfied with something. So if you want to grow more content, guess what? You're probably going to have to suffer loss. God's going to probably touch something in your life and take it away or break it or make it, make it hurt. Because being a contented person is something, like it or not, you're going to have to learn. <laughs> like Paul. Second thing I see in this passage is that contentment is something you have to receive. It's something you've got to receive. What I'm saying is it's a gift. It's a gift. You can't just decide just like that to become more content. It's not really something you can work on, you know. It's sort of like humility. How do you work on humility? The moment you work on humility and think you've conquered a little bit, you're proud that you're not proud, (laughs) That's the way it is with contentment. How can you work on it? Because the moment you know you've got to work on it, you're discontented with your lack of contentment. I mean, it's just contradictory. So it's, it's, it's something, a gift that God has to give you. Verse 10, I think you see this here, where Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Notice the source that he attributes his contentment to. It's in the Lord. And he says in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Jesus was the source of of Paul's contentment. He, Jesus, that is, gave it to Paul. He enabled Paul to be content. Now, this is not to say that there aren't some things that you can do to try to become a more contented person. For example, you can say the little word no when you're out shopping and you see that clothing, you see that car, you see that piece of furniture, you can actually say no to yourself. Right? Not hard. You can simplify your life. You can cut up your credit cards. You can enroll in Financial Peace University. Let me take a little sidebar here and show you something that's interesting. We've got over 103 households enrolled in FPU this winter. And and some of you didn't report your... Statistics. So we're not sure, but it's more than this, that at least $24,000 in debt has been paid off so far by these 103 households. And as uh, at least $40,109 has been saved that wasn't being saved before by these 103 households for a net turnaround of about $1,566 per household. That's just in the nine weeks that we've had FPU this winter. So that's the kind of thing you can do. You can get in FPU and learn how to be a better steward of your stuff and of your money. Those are things you can well do that will help you to become more contented. But listen, your ultimate source of contentment is a relationship with Christ. So if you don't have one this morning, if you're if you're not a Christian and you're wondering, why am I not satisfied? Here's the reason that only through Jesus Christ will you find the end of your search for significance, your end of your search for satisfaction in life. I invite you and urge you to admit your sins to God, to ask Him sometime when you can be alone with the Lord, just ask Him, step into my life and be my leader. I want to be your follower. Make me your child. He's your source of contentment because contentment is something that you must receive. Lastly, I want to leave you with this one. Contentment is something that you have to believe. Something you have to believe. That's kind of an enigmatic statement, isn't it? Here's what I'm talking about. Lack of contentment. Please listen to this. Lack of contentment is at root a failure of faith. It's not just a lack of discipline. It's not just that you don't have enough skills. It's not that you've not ever been through FPU. Okay, at bottom, discontent is a failure of faith or a failure to believe the gospel. Let me break into that a little bit more. In verses 14 through 18 of this text, Paul is thanking the Philippians for sending him Some gifts. We're not told what the gifts were. But they must have been really encouraging to Paul. He says in verse 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. He goes on to say. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received the gifts that you sent. And he says in verse 18. Your gifts. They are a fragrant offering. They are an acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. So Paul is very thankful. For what the Philippians had done for him. He's not ignorant of what sacrifices. That they had made. But don't you get the feeling as you listen to this text earlier that Paul would have been content either way with or without their gifts? Because he says in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not. He says in verse 17, I'm not looking for a gift. So I hear Paul saying Philippian people, thank you. Thank you for your gifts. But I want you to know that contentment isn't about having stuff. My contentment, he says, doesn't come from getting things. It comes from knowing that I'm loved and cherished and adopted and delighted in by God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 and you'll see what I mean. Verse 19, he says, my God will meet all your needs according to Notice this phrase, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What's he referring to? If he he had a little footnote beside his glorious riches, what would the footnote say? He's talking about the gospel about Jesus, the good news that God has sent Jesus Christ down to be Our sacrifice for sin, to die in our place on the cross, to live the life we should have lived and die the death we deserve to die. Those are His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So what are we learning? We're learning that at the core of contentment is believing the gospel. It's knowing your identity, that you're a child of God, dearly loved by God, and knowing who God is, that He's your heavenly Father, He loves you, He knows what you need, and He'll always take care of you. We're learning really what Psalm 23 1 says. You've all memorized it, I suspect. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I believe that. So therefore, I shall not be in want. I have no lack. I am contented. It's when you believe that Jesus is your shepherd. You believe that you're loved by God, adopted into His family, that He smiles upon you, has justified you, will bring you to His home one day. It's when you know and believe and rely upon those truths that you feel no lack. You can say with Paul, I've learned the secret of contentment. See, the truth of the matter is that everything you want is already yours in Jesus. Everything that you think you need to be in what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring is already yours in Jesus. You lack nothing if you're a Christian this morning. You already have everything you need to make you secure and valuable and worthwhile. You're God's child. My goodness, you're rich. 2 Peter 1.3 says that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Believe that and your life will change. Believe that and you will feel a security and a willingness to die for other people and to give your life into the cause of Christ. Believe that you are already In possession of all you need for all the value you've ever wanted, and your life will be different. It will be so attractive to the people out there that are hunting everywhere for a source of satisfaction in life. Ultimately, it's not better health that you need, it's not a better marriage or a higher standard of living. All those things are really the greener grass. They are an illusion of happiness that doesn't exist. As soon as you get there, you'll find a problem with it. And then you'll want something else. You can be content because you already have Jesus. He and his love are enough. On the cross, he gave you what no one and nothing else ever will. Eternal life, belonging, forgiveness, a church family. The Holy Spirit, hope, heaven. Yes, yes, it is possible to be content as you learn the secret of contentment in the school of suffering, as you receive it as a gift from God's grace, and as you believe the glorious riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story is told of a Puritan who sat down at his dinner table one night to a dinner Of bread and water. And as he looked at his dinner. He began to weep. And he said. All this. And Jesus too. Let's pray. Lord will you help us. Will you teach us. Will you take us. Into the secret of contentment. Because. You know how much we need it, Lord. You know how much a product of our culture, many, if not most, if not all of us are, a culture that's saturated with dissatisfaction, that's saturated with advertisements of false peace. Lord, teach us, please, even if it means suffering, the secret of contentment. Help us to receive contentment as the one most wonderful gift we could ever receive And Lord, help us to believe the gospel that all that we need, all that we have are found in Jesus, who is enough. And we pray this in His wonderful name. Amen.